electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. And for Scott Wapner, I am Tyler Matheson. This seemingly unstoppable record-breaking rally is rolling on yet again today. But our stocks, here's the question to begin and probably end September, our stocks getting too frothy. And our investors getting too complacent. We will debate that and your next money moves with our investment committee, Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, Pete Nigerian, Liz Young, who is BNY Mellon's director of market strategy and a CNBC contributor, and Tiffany McGee, CEO of Momentum Advisors Institutional Investment Services Group. And she is a new CNBC contributor. We will have the hazing ceremony for you, Tiffany, in just a little bit. Meanwhile, let's get a check on the markets, the S&P 500 and NASDAQ. Again, hitting new intraday highs, but the Nasdaq doing a bit of a U-turn, as you see there, now down 28 points, uh, or about a quarter of a percent this hour, as some of the growth names like Tesla and Apple drop. We'll talk about them in a little more detail, but Steve Weiss, I'd like to begin with you, because I read a very persuasive note by you this morning that talked about reasons to uh, sort of stay invested. I was with a friend last night who said, if you bet against this market, you are basically shorting two things. You are shorting the Fed and you are shorting science, i.e. the hope that a a vaccine will come along. You want to short those two? I don't think so. Steve? So the uh, my observations that, that I sent to you this morning were that the market's momentum market. And if you disregard fundamentals, which the market is doing in large part, or at least putting on steroids, both on the upside and downside. So as long as a company doesn't screw up, as long as they continue to do what they say they're going to do, the momentum of the market's going to take it up because it's a valuation holiday, number one. It's also a fundamental holiday. Nobody should be surprised by this because passive investors, index funds, own more than 50% of every publicly traded equity out there. They don't look at fundamentals. So as long as money continues to go that direction, and it is, at one point it was 80, 80 cents of every dollar. I don't think that's declined over a study that was done last year. It'll continue to move. The other, as you point out, and as I mentioned in my note, is a vaccine. So, and I've said this on the show before, both points actually, hmm. as we get closer to a vaccine becoming a reality, and the headlines are filled with that news, then you'll see the market trade up and having a final big pop once a vaccine is approved. And then there's Tina. There is no alternative. So as trite as that is to say, where are you going to go? And you've got both the, the new investors in the market, courtesy of Robinhood, fractional shares, and others, that find much more excitement in the markets than they do in fixed income. You've got what I think is a much more overpriced, we don't really talk about that, much more overpriced bond market 
than we do equity market. You can't compare the historical valuation differences in bonds trading now versus where they're historically traded to equities. So forget about the talk about equities being overvalued. We know that. That's not the dialogue that controls. Liz, I think you would find little fault with what, with what Steve just said, particularly with respect to the idea that where else are you going to go if not into equities, given where other parts of the, of the broad investment market stand? And you, and you point out, among other things, that it's probably riskier not to own tech right here than to own it. Yeah, uh, Steve, I think you just took all of my talking points. So I've, I really have nothing less to say. But I do look at the but investors Give it back right to now. me, You're Liz. Forced... I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> You're forced into equities if you have any return target at all. You're not going to get that return target from bonds. You're not going to get it from a lot of alternative assets until we get inflation. And it's important to have diversification in the portfolio, but I do believe you can over-diversify and you can diversify away your opportunity. So I say this a lot to our clients, invest like you mean it. And in this particular environment, I actually like that the NASDAQ is down a little bit today and the Dow is up because it shows that cyclicals are coming back. It shows that some of that broadening out is continuing. And we've got some other sectors coming off the bench to carry the day as we continue this recovery. So I stay optimistic. I'm trying not to be Pollyanna, but I'm still optimistic. Tiffany, why don't you jump in here uh, and talk a little bit about the fact that growth continues by a large margin to outperform the so-called value stocks. We had a, a really spirited conversation about that yesterday. Uh, and, the, and the other word that is floating around in the ether these days is overbought. Tell me what, you, tell me what overbought means to you and, and how concerned you are about whether sections of the market are, in fact, overbought. Yeah, so, you know, I, I feel like we were having this conversation on the show a few weeks ago when when um, value kind of took a little bit of like a of um, a run. But clearly, you know, growth is outperforming value. It's in there for the long haul. It's in there to stay. I mean, you've got um, uh, the Russell um, growth outperforming the value. It, it, it's just, you know, a, a very clear story. And so, you know, when it comes to you know stocks being overbought, um, you know, I, I maintain that we are in a stock pickers environment. And, you know, I really kind of echo what um, uh, Liz is saying, you know, you absolutely have to own tech. Um, and again, there are five to six companies that are driving the market. Um, and we just have to be in these names. It's riskier not to be in these names, as she pointed out. Um, so it's really not a question of, for me, it's not a question of whether it's overbought. It's really, are you making, are investors, are you as an investor making the right decision? Are you making the right picks? And I, for me, I love anything tech. I love anything tech adjacent. And I love tech enablers. Tech, tech enablers, what, what does that mean? Enablers. Yeah. So any any um, any platform, and I'm going to talk about talk about a few in in, in a minute. Any platform that is um, enabling um, existing business businesses to convert um, to to virtual or digital um, business uh, uh, sales. Let me let me turn to Joe because we, we're talking about overbought stocks, and some of them on the list uh, of over or in overbought territory include some you own like Deer. Nike and Apple. What do you think of that concept of, of, of being overbought? Does it concern you that these holdings of yours are, quote, overbought? Or, or do you just say, 
I like these stocks. The fundamentals are good. They're where everybody wants to put their money be, because they're good. Well, Tyler, the way that I think about it is how do I manage the risk around being invested? So you began the show with saying, well, we want to be invested. I agree with we want to be invested. Um, if we were to experience a correction of, let's say, 5 to 10 percent, I would still be invested. But what I do is I measure the probability of a potential correction occurring. I look at the holdings that I have in my equities and I say, OK, now how do I manage the risk around that? And I think that there is a much higher probability as we sit here on September 2nd of that 5 to 7 percent garden variety correction. And what I do in that uh, in that scenario is I look to manage the risk in places that I haven't previously. So I would look in Pete's world, which is volatility. I mentioned that I purchased the VXX within the last week. Volatility has been very well supported even as the equity market has moved higher. So that's one of the ways that I'm kind of managing the risk. Tyler, keep in mind, we could correct 4.5% right now for the S&P 500. And guess where that takes us to? The previous high for the year at 33.93. Wow, that's a, that's an amazing thought. Let's move on and 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 talk about how Wall Street is still betting on growth with Apple and Amazon, among others, hitting new highs today. Although Apple has pulled back just now, Facebook, Twitter, their price targets raised to new street highs by Bank of America uh, and Alphabet getting its target raised. Uh, and uh, Steve and Tiffany, you both own Facebook and Alphabet, but I want to turn to you, Pete, because you own Twitter and just bought some snap calls today. Take us through your thinking on those. Yeah, and, and I also own Facebook. I mean, I, I think that there are a lot of names, and, and going back to the previous conversation, I think I don't look for something just because it's stable, and I don't look for something just because it has growth. My whole qualifications are I want quality, Tyler, and if I can find quality and I've got growth, I think you have a great mix. And I think when you look at a name like a Facebook, Think about how many verticals they have created over the years. And a lot of that has to do with what they've done internally, but also what they've done through acquisition. But they have con converted themselves from just being the social media company of Facebook to far much more than that now, especially when you look at marketplace and shops and everything that they have done. So I look at that name and I think, you know, it, it has had an absolutely amazing run to the upside. I look at Twitter. It's had some pretty nice moves at times to the upside as well. Snap has struggled a little bit comparatively. But I look at names that, that have some dominance and have multiple verticals. And those are the names that I'll definitely have in my stock portfolio. On the option side, I can be a little bit looser. On the option side, I can actually have a little bit more risk on and looking at names that are literally just monster momentum and growth. And if you've got a, a lot of those names, and of course there are other quality names in there as well, so it's not all just momentum, but it gives you the opportunity to be a part of all parts of the market. I mean, like even, even given today, a, a lot of people have missed this whole thing, but if you look at healthcare, did you realize that the XLV is at an all-time high today? I, I don't think a lot of people would know that. I think everybody knows there's five stocks that are driving the markets, but it's been broader than that. And I continue to try to bring this up each and every day because I see this happening. And I look over at Merck and United Health and J&J &J and a lot of those names that are in that particular category, and I see names that have quality, they have growth, they have great fundamentals, and I, and I think that the opportunities are there, especially when you look at the verticals that they've got in the healthcare industry, because that's in the pipeline. So there's all kinds right. of different opportunities out there. To Joe's, to Joe's point about uh, volatility, just for one second, 
It was 21 just a week and a half or so ago, and here it is 26. What does that tell me, Tyler? It tells me that people are getting a little bit more, not cautious, but smarter. Because if that's going higher, a lot of that is due to the fact that people are willing to pay a little bit more to try to get some protection to their portfolios. And we're seeing a lot of stock replacement strategies going in there. Selling out of a stock that's made an unbelievable run, but owning options that give you mm -hmm. a little bit more of a kicker if there's anything left. So there's a lot of different mechanics that are going on right now as we see the stock market at highs and you see volatility definitely well off the lows. Steve, I'm not a, a Facebook guy, but I'm certainly aware of how, as, as Pete just put it, the tentacles of this company have gone far beyond being a sort of chat platform for, for, for people in dorms, obviously, yeah. uh, but, but a selling platform. My neighbor just bought a car through it. Others are listing real estate on Facebook. It has become a marketplace. You own it. You love it, right? I do. I do. One of the things that, uh, that I pointed out is that Zuckerberg, for all his, let's say, personality uh, issues, you know, whether he's arrogant or not, don't really care. He's actually a brilliant businessman. Look at some of his acquisitions um, and they'll continue. So they continue to spread those tentacles and they continue to get in other businesses. It continues to be the platform for advertisers. The boycott that we saw last month, what did it do? It did nothing. So you've got to be on Facebook. But look, what disturbs me about the, about the market is, and before I get there, let me just deal with complacency. There's not one experienced investor that I speak to that I would say is complacent. I can't speak to the Robinhood traders. I don't really talk to many of them at all, except for maybe my kids' friends. But professional investors are not complacent. They recognize the risks. They've assessed the risk and just determined that the rewards are outweighing the risk on a probability-weighted basis. So that's that. In terms of Facebook, look, these stocks trade up on a daily basis because analysts are raising their price targets. I ran a 500-person research department with a partner, Solomon Brothers, and we had price targets. I'm waiting for the research firm to come out. I don't know if it'll call top in the market or not and say we're doing away with price targets. Because if you're an analyst, you've got to be part fiction writer and part analyst built of your experiences because you're just raising price hard to stay in the game. You know, you know Facebook's going higher. You know that the numbers that you had before haven't justified it. Take a look at Morgan Stanley raising their price target on, on Apple in a month by over 20%. Nothing transpired. So you got to be careful of that a little bit. Nonetheless, momentum's there. It's more than six stocks controlling the market. I don't like that dialogue. True, it's in the averages, but I can give you, as everybody can in this panel, including Pete, look at Lulu. It's not one of the names that's thought of controlling the market. Look what that stock's done. Look at so many others. So let's forget all the trite dialogue, the trite sayings, and focus on what's underneath the headline indices. We'll talk a little more about Lulu in just a couple of minutes with Pete. Uh, I, you, you mentioned Zuckerberg, and I, and I think of companies that are associated with their CEOs, and there are two that immediately come to mind. One is, is Zuckerberg and Facebook. Uh, the other is um, Tesla and Elon Musk. Tiffany, you own uh, Tesla, and it's down about 10% today. So what, really? Because it's up hundreds of percent over the past year or this year so far. Uh, what do you think about this little sell-off in Tiffany? And, um, and about the fact that it is, its fortune is so closely tied to its founder and leader. 
Yeah, so I, I've, uh, we, we definitely own uh, Tesla. I've spoken about Tesla before. Um, yeah, so listen, and I, I, I want to just kind of set the record straight. Um, Tesla is not, and I think someone um, uh, earlier in the week on the show said this, Tesla is really not a car company. Um, they're really a tech company. Um, they are not, they've not jumped on the innovation, um, innovation bandwagon. Uh, they're actually driving it, right? Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, Elon Musk, um, I, I joke that he's a bit messy, uh, but at the end of the day, he is a genius. And what that does is actually translates into Rockstar. And so I think we need to just, you know, stop for a second and think about what um, really drives stock prices up and people, what it is, is people buying. And he is a celebrity. He's a celebrity genius. And that's what's pushing it up. Um, in addition to to the innovation of the company. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think when when you look at um, when you look at companies like a Tesla, um, that's that is certainly um, a factor. Um, his, How many his, uh, points of the stock, which is now at four hundred and thirty eight dollars, uh, how many points of the stock is tied up with with Elon Musk? In other words, if he were to to leave the company tomorrow petulantly or whatever, how much would that stock sell off, Tiffany? Yeah. And so, again, I don't have a crystal ball, um, so I, I, I can't give you an exact number. Um, but I, I think the question really is not how much would it sell off, because uh, I think that it would absolutely um, uh, a bit. But I think it is how much can Elon Musk and his his large personality continue to push the stock and everything that he does. Right. So people are following him. They're looking at SpaceX They're looking at all these cool things that he's doing, you know. Um, and so that is pushing the stock. Um, yes, I do believe there'd be a bit of a sell off. But at the end of the day, Tesla makes good cars with great technology. Um, but I, I do think you know, there is that Elon factor. Yeah, there is. Pete, talk to, speak to me about that. It's, it's almost like, it, well, the, the New England Patriots lost their quarterback, Tom Brady. If they <laughs> lost Belichick, it would be like uh, Tesla losing, uh, losing Elon Musk to me. And it would, it would, put, it would take yeah. a lot of money out of the stock. There's also been a lot of action, options action in that stock. No doubt about that. I mean, the volumes there have been absolutely extraordinary, especially post-split, uh, Tyler, which started on Monday, and the, they're just off the charts. Um, what I would say about Elon Musk, I, I, would, I would have it a little bit of a different take. He, I think, is Tesla. He's SpaceX. The amazing thing about this guy is he is running so many different companies, the boring company as well. Also, he's doing the, the, the company with the chips that are going in and they're going to be able to be an AI chip for all of us someday. I mean, there are so many different things that this guy's accomplishing. And, and yet he just manages to do all of those things very, very well. And I think because of his focus, that's why we're seeing Tesla where it is. I think it would be a dramatic hit to the stock, unfortunately, if for whatever reason he was either pushed out or something were to happen where he was no longer running Tesla. I think I'd be very, very nervous about that because even though it's a great company that he has developed and he's done so many different things, I think it's his vision, Tyler, that really has everybody that, that compelled to like this. And, when, and I think I might have been the one that actually said, hey, look, it's not an auto stock. People continue to say it is. It's not. It's a hardware in terms of the automobile. It's software with everything else. And it's all the data collection that they do. So it's really a technology company. And that's why I've been looking at that for years and just thinking about, you know, Gene Munster first brought that up. I got to give him credit every time. And ever since I thought yeah. it through that way, it makes me feel much different about Tesla. But they, they could not afford not to have Elon Musk at the helm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's not terribly an original thought to say that, that Musk is the new jobs. I mean, he 
he is so associated with that company and with its innovation. And, and, and to your point, it it's not merely the cars you see around. It's really what's beneath those cars, the technology, uh, including what's happening uh, with his space company and others that, that really drives it. Let's go around the horn and see what's on the traders buy and sell list for today. Joe, you're looking at a couple of consumer names. Which are they and why? So, so I am, Tyler, and it would be predicated upon selling one of the holdings uh, that I currently have in the portfolio. And I think uh, right now, the number one candidate that I'm looking at at selling would be the XPI, XBI, that's the biotech ETF. That might disappoint Stephen Weiss because I know Stephen Weiss is a fan. He might even own it. But I think it's too, uh, too correlated now to a therapeutic, to a vaccine. If I were to sell the XBI, I would purchase two names. Number one is Ollie's. O-L-L-I, and the second name would be S-J-M, J-M Smuckers. Both of them, uh, in the case of J-M Smucker and Ali, reported very strong quarters. I like that stock. Of, of both of them are pulling back here. In the case of Ali, it's in the low 90s. Uh, so I'm looking at both these names as an opportunity if I were to ring the register on XBI. All right, Steve, let's uh, go over to uh, your your picks here. You, uh, you are looking at... Uh Lowe's and Domino's Pizza, two companies that, in my mind, couldn't be farther apart. <laughs> well, they couldn't be, except they broadened my exposure away from 5G and technology. And as to the XBI, I don't disagree with Joe at all. It's the one that's really on the bubble for me in terms of selling. But, but conversely, I do like the exposure to a vaccine. And I cut back my Moderna position, so it gives me that exposure that I lost with Moderna and broadens my chances. On Lowe's and, and Domino's, I bought both, but very small startup positions. Both have acted poorly after the quarters, despite phenomenal quarters. This is not unique to them. Domino's, I think, is trading lower because you're seeing indoor dining opening, and there's a misconception that that's going to hurt their business. I don't think that will be the case. So I think Domino's is getting to a point where it's close. Lowe's, I actually, between... Uh, my notes this morning and the show, I bought a little more, but still far away from a full position. All right, let's uh, turn and to I did sell. I had one sale. I had one sale, and that was Corvo. The reason I sold Corvo is because my exposure in the RF chip uh, sector of semis is much too great. Uh, Skyworks has done extraordinarily well. It's a very large position. 51% of their business comes from Apple. Apple supposedly told their manufacturers to gear up for 75 million 5G phones, which I still maintain will be their biggest product launch ever. So as Skyworks has grown, my exposure, RF has grown, something had to go, and that was Corvo. Let us turn to a sector that, uh, from my lights, uh, seems like it has uh, come up uh, slowly and stealthily to within 1% of its all-time high. And, Liz, that would be transports. What do you think of them? Uh, so actually, Tyler, on the last halftime report I was on, I used transports as my final trade. That falls in the industrials category. It falls in that cyclicals category. And over the next, call it three to six months, I think that, number one, cyclicals can catch up. Small caps can catch up. Transports is a big part of all of those industries. And even transports internationally, I think, can catch up here. I think Europe and Asia come back a little bit faster than the U.S. <coughs> initially. And you're going to see transportation stocks benefit from that around the globe. Let's turn to a couple of the folks on the panel who own some of these stocks. And I see that Tiffany, uh, Steve, and Pete all own UPS. Tiffany, why don't you explain why UPS is high on your list? You also have FedEx in this category. 
Yeah, and so I, I would actually say that FedEx is probably a little bit higher on my list than um, UPS. So, and really, again, you know, um, to, to jump on board with the girl power, I, I echo everything that Liz said. Um, so I, I love transports in this day and age when we are, you know, ordering every single thing to our doorstep, right? We've been forced to kind of, you know, convert to or kind of shift into um, from going into the store to, 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 to ordering everything. Um, I, you know, the, the, the two major players are UPS and FedEx. Um, I particularly like FedEx because it really is the global leader in that kind of next day, um, next day delivery, right? Um, and so when you need something right now, you're probably gonna have your product shipped by FedEx, right? Your whatever um, store or uh, you know a place you're ordering from is, is, is most likely gonna be using FedEx. And so it's global and I love it. It's such a leader, it can really almost set the prices. So I, that's one of the main reasons that uh, I like it. Joe, you own a, a stock named after my home state, Old Dominion, why that one? I certainly do, but that's one of the best in breed transports. I agree with Liz. Very quietly, transports have been a very strong indicator that there's going to be this economic revival that we're experiencing here. Let's not forget the manufacturing figure that was recorded yesterday to all of us. Um, so Old Dominion is a way to get exposure to that. The IYT would be your transport ETF. Yes, included in there is FedEx and UPS, and I congratulate everyone on the panel that owns those because those have been strong winners. But let's not forget about within that, the Old Dominion's Landstar, LSTR. That's another transport name that benefits from this economic uh, revival that we're seeing here domestically. All right, why don't we take a quick pause here at uh, 25 past the hour. And as you check out this mystery chart, it's a chip stock that's more than doubled this year and just got a price hike, a target price hike to a new street high. We will reveal the name and debate it next in our call of the day. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. Halftime is back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. As you see there, NASDAQ has flipped back into positive territory. Meantime, let's get the headlines with Sue Herrera. Hi, Sue. Hello, Ty. Busy news day. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. German Chancellor Angela Merkel demanding the Russian government explain the poisoning of dissident leader Alexei Navalny. She is calling it a, quote, attempted murder meant to silence him. Meanwhile, Navalny remains in serious condition. His doctors expect a long recovery. The Biden campaign saying it raised a record $364.5 million in August. That's more than twice the amount raised in July. A spokesman says more than half of the money came in the form of small online donations. New research on several studies shows some steroids reduce death rates when given to severely ill COVID-19 patients. Authors of the study caution the steroids only helped the sickest of patients. And Prince Harry and his wife Meghan have signed a multi-year deal with Netflix to make documentaries, feature films, and even children's programming. The couple says they will seek to make content that informs and gives hope. You are up to date, Ty. That's the news update. I will send it back to you. All right, Sue, thank you very much. Uh, let's talk about, uh, it was our mystery chart, NVIDIA shares trading at all-time highs and surging more than 200% in the past year. 
Uh, Bank of America upping the price target on that semi-stock. New street high of $650 and reiterating its buy rating. It is our call of the day. This stock very quietly, or maybe not so quietly, is now worth more, much more, even than Intel. Tiffany, you own it. I do. Yeah. So again, you know, I started the, the uh, show saying that I loved everything tech and uh, NVIDIA clearly is is um, right uh, up there. So, you know, what I like about NVIDIA is they really focus on uh, personal computer graphics and in particular, um, like graphics processing. Right. So so that is um, that is particularly um, interesting to me. And they also include um, artificial intelligence in that, um, you know, the stock is up 142 percent year to date. And 12%, almost 12% in the past five days. So, you know, that tells the entire story, I think. Yeah, well, that's a pretty good story to tell, up 142% this year so far. Uh, Liz, a lot of the traders own semi-stocks, uh, from NVIDIA to uh, Qualcomm, Micron, um, Intel, uh, and, and others. What's your broad take on this category, semiconductors? Yeah, at the risk of... Uh irritating all of the traders on this panel right now. I think semiconductors are usually looked at as an indicator of what's to come. And if we're looking at just the nature of this recovery, we still need the consumer to come back, we need manufacturing to come back, and we're going to look at things like consumer discretionary, industrials, and transports as the indicator going forward. I think the tech sector has done really well up to this point for obvious reasons, and it can still continue to do well long term. But I would rather see investors rotate into some of that other, the other spots of the economy that I think are going to benefit more going forward. Does anybody want to uh, respond to Liz? The floor is open. Yeah, I'll respond. Go ahead. I'll, I'll respond. Uh, first of all, the pillars of the economy that generally uh, presage a, a strong market, strong economy, are auto sales and home sales. Uh, both are very strong. While the OEMs are not doing well, if you take a look at, because they cut production pre-COVID, if you take a use, used car sales, they're experiencing record demand and price increases, number one. Number two, in terms of semis, they're not just going to phones, they're not just going to PCs, they're going to virtually every area of industry. For example, you take a look at a company like XPO, which is another transport company, they're automating all their factories with 5G. That's another place for chips. So the total addressable market for, for the chip manufacturers, like a Skyworks again, is not only in phones where it used to be in 4G, now the total addressable market has increased exponentially because it's going into healthcare. It's going into NFL stadiums. More than half have 5G networks. It's going everywhere. So I'm not sure that that's a reliable indication anymore going forward. All right, let's move uh, to uh, Rahel Solomon, who's got a few other calls to uh, tell us about. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Tyler. So, yes, two bullish calls and two strong pandemic plays. Let's start with Costco. Price target goes to 410 at Cowan, thanks in part to strong comps. Despite some inventory challenges for some in-demand categories like cleaning, electronics, so comps were up double digits in both June and July. We'll see how August compared when Costco reports those figures after the bell, but you can see it's up about 1%. And by the way, Costco hitting fresh all-time highs today ahead of that news. And Tyler, once you've eaten all you can at Costco, maybe you want to jump on your Peloton bike. Lots of people doing that these days. And that's part of the reason J.P. Morgan is raising its price target to a street high of 105 bucks, increasing their estimates also across the board. Their 2021 EBITDA expectation is almost 200% above consensus. 
And while we're talking about huge figures, at the March lows, Tyler, Peloton was a $17 stock. It is Yikes. up almost 400% from those levels as it sits at about 89.50. I like Costco hot dogs, and I love my Peloton. The Pelotons are actually now back-ordered. You can't get them. Yeah, they're, they're and New so York is demand. actually one of the worst places to get it right now. It takes about, on average, about 10 weeks to get a bike in uh, New York. One of the best places, however, is Dallas. So if you want a bike, I don't know, Move to in Dallas. Dallas, yeah. All right, Rahel, <laughs> thanks very much. Sure. All right, we'll uh, see you in a little bit. All right, Pete is seeing some unusual activity in the options market, as he often does. His latest trades are straight ahead. But first, a quick check on the S&P sector heat map. Halftime is back after this. Uh, I guess that's 10 out of 11 in the green for this day. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Intel shares have rebounded nearly 9% over the past month, and options traders are looking for that run to continue. So, Pete, what have you been seeing? Yeah, Tyler, you know, as a matter of fact, when that stock actually got the blood in the streets, as we call it, back there at 48, it, it, it seemed like an opportunity because it started to shift and started to move to the upside. We started seeing more and more unusual option activity that was very positive. As a matter of fact, what we're seeing today is following up some paper that we had just seen just last week. So what we're seeing today is they're buying the September 11th expiring, so not this Friday, but the following Friday, and they're going out there and they're buying the 53 strike calls for about 80 cents, about 10,000 of those were bought with the stock just a little bit less than it is right now. They were going for about 80 cents. So a nice size trade with 10,000 of those. I already own the stock, which I bought a while back, but now I'm owning these calls as well. So I'm sort of doubled up right now. I got a second one for you as well, Starbucks. And we talked about this one yesterday. Starbucks has been an amazing company in terms of its rally off of its lows as well and the opening up of China, of course. But when you look at this one, September 11th, again, is the expiration cycle. We got buyers of about 5,000 of the 90 strike calls. Stock was trading about 87. So it's going to have to make a move in the next week and a half or so towards that 90 level. It's right there at 87. It's only a couple of dollars, but they're paying about 60 cents for these options as well. I'm in both of these. I like seeing this paper. I already had believed in Intel. I thought the selling was overdone. And now what I'm seeing in Starbucks looks like a stock that wants to maybe break out again to the upside. So I like both these plays right now. I'll be in both of these till next Friday, unless they move sooner than that. All right, Pete, thanks. Uh, Joe, uh, that must be music to your ears on Starbucks, which I'm told you own. (laughs) Yes, it certainly is. And I totally agree with Pete. I think it is making uh, a technical breakout after uh, giving fundamental support and confidence to investors with its recent earnings call. Listen, there is a faster economic recovery that's happening outside of the U.S. that benefits Starbucks. But now, with the technical nature being a very positive catalyst, I see uh, Starbucks targeting the highs back in January at 94. So I like that 90 call strike. It's moving up very quickly here from 80 to now 87. And I think it clears above 90 and presses towards that January high in the very near term. All right. Thanks, Joe. And uh, we're going to move on. Yesterday, we didn't get to answer your questions because we had such a long A block. Today, we're going to get them in in Ask Halftime. 
To reach us, go to CNBC.com slash halftime, or you can tweet us. And throughout the day on CNBC, we are watching the rise in price of things you use every day. As we go to a break, take a look at laundry detergent. It is up 9.2%. Long tide, ladies and gentlemen. 9.2% in the four weeks ending August 22nd compared to the same period last year. Halftime is back after this. It is time for Ask Halftime. The traders will answer your questions. I will pose them. Pete, this is the first question, and it comes on DraftKings. JB in Florida asks, do you think DraftKings is a good stock play with sports coming back? It's already back. The stock's surging today on news that Michael Jordan, the team owner of the uh, Charlotte team, and a gambler, folks, will be joining the company as a board Mm. advisor. He likes the action. Do you? (laughs) I like the action as well. I've owned this stock since just after the IPO. I think there's still plenty of upside. There's competition out there, obviously. Penn Gaming and others. But the online world of gambling is a multi... We're talking about a 30-some-odd billion dollar area that I think could be exposed. And I look at a guy like Michael Jordan. I mean, is there anybody that stands out more than Michael Jordan? I think it would be Tom Brady maybe in football right now. And obviously Michael Jordan, who hasn't played basketball in quite a few years, and yet he's still the basketball's biggest name out there. So I think he brings so much street cred right now that this is a huge acquisition to have him as a board member. And I think it's something that's going to be very important going forward as the competition continues to rise because others are going to get into this industry as well. But DraftKings right now, I think, is well positioned to really be the number one. And I, and I'm, I have no plans of selling my stock anytime in the near future. The NBA, uh, well, I, th- I tossed this out to the, to the panel as a, as a whole, the NBA has been early in, in kind of embracing the idea that sports betting is an inevitability in the United States, but I wonder how much they would like it if one of their own, uh, the, the, maybe the, arguably the greatest NBA player of all time and an owner of a team, becomes a little too associated with uh, a fundamentally a gambling company. Anybody have any thoughts there? Well, I, I would think that, that he spoke, I would hope, and he's a smart guy, so I would say he spoke to the NBA. Sure. got Adam Silver's permission to do it. Yeah. So do you own DraftKings, Steve? Do you own DraftKings or not? I don't. I, I don't. I've missed it. I, I think it is a good holding. I'm jealous of Pete. I'm happy for him to see <laughs> me some of his gains, and I'll go along with him to validate his position. But, no, I don't. It's one of the few SPACs that will work, actually. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's go to Joe. Uh, Chad in California asks, should I buy Abbott Labs or AbbVie? Would you rather? Which? Chad, that, that happens to be a, a great comparison. And then, by the way, just real quick, going back on DraftKings, sure. I own uh, Penn National Gaming before I own DraftKings. But, Chad, great question in comparing the two. Let me go back in history and uh, allow everyone to understand that I was an owner of AbbVie was very disappointed by the performance during the course of 18 and 19, and I directly went into Abbott Labs. I'm happy that I'm there. AbV has clearly recovered. These are two very strong companies, both technically and fundamentally. It's kind of the battle of Illinois. But I'm going to stay in my Abbott Labs position because I heard last week CEO Robert Ford of Abbott Labs on the network with Meg Terrell. And boy, that is just a fantastic management communication. I'm very comfortable with management. And Robert Ford presented himself in just a phenomenal capacity. So I'll stay with Abbott Labs. 
doesn't mean AbbVie hasn't made a good recovery. It has. All right. Well, good. You speak from knowledge there on both of those stocks. Steve, Jerry in Indiana wants to know if it's time to sell Keysight Technologies. Don't know that company. Yeah, actually, uh, I bought more. So what Jerry's referring to is that the stock reported a great number. Stock was up big pre-market uh, and after the close. They reported after the market closed and next morning and then dropped like a rock. Uh, I went through the, the K, uh, the transcript. There's no reason for this. What Keysight does is it tests new applications, rather new equipment, technology that's coming into the market. So before you develop a new iPhone or a new chip for the iPhone, you go to a company like T-Site or Teradyne. Teradyne had the same experience, great quarter traded down. I also bought more Teradyne because now it's trading a range of 85 to 90. So I've got my core position, then the trading position as well. Both will be absolutely fine. Don't worry about them. They're early cycle stocks. I still think we're early in the 5G cycle. All right, let's go uh, next to Liz. Kieran in Ireland, and that's a good Irish name, uh, wants to know your thoughts on the European banks. So, Kieran, I am optimistic on Europe, but more the European consumer than European financials. And this is actually a perfect reason why I don't like it when people are passive internationally, because financials is usually the biggest sector in international indices. So I'd rather see you in an active manager that's tilted away from those financials and a little bit more towards the consumer. All right. And Tiffany Enzo in New Jersey. That's a good New Jersey name because there's a good restaurant in my town called Enzo's. Uh, Enzo asks if Beyond Meat is overbought. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I um, Beyond Meat is another one of those stocks that I think is is just really getting gaining a lot of attention. Um, they clearly had their IPO, um, and, and I would have expected them to do a little bit better um, during uh, like the height of quarantine when everybody was out of chicken and um, beef. Um, but, you know, listen, it, it's taken a little bit of a dip, about down like 3% in um, the last three months, um, but still, year to date, it's up uh, about 71%. Um, so I do think that there's still um, uh, some runway for Beyond Meat, uh, and now it's maybe a good time to buy it since it has a little bit of a dip. All right, Enzo, there's your answer. Pete, one last one for you. Krishna, also <laughs> in New Jersey, asked, should I buy Macy's numbers out today? I still think that it's too dangerous. I would not be buying this. The stores are absolutely in huge trouble right now. And online was a strength. There was some great growth there, but off of a very low level. So I would stay away from this name. All right. A no to Macy's. All right, folks. Uh, crude oil prices are lower. So how the futures traders are playing that pullback, that is next on Halftime. Time now for Futures Outlook. Uh, check out crude. It is down more than 2%. Uh, even as U.S. inventories fell by over 6 million barrels uh, last week, that according to the American Petroleum Institute, and that is three times the draw that analysts expected. Let's bring in Scott Nations of Nations Indexes. Scott, you don't see much reason to be in, uh, in oil these days. If oil's price isn't moving up in the summer, the peak driving season, it's probably not going to in, as we move into the fall. And, and Tyler, if it can't rally on the news you just pointed out, the fact that stockpiles saw a big draw, then how is it going to get out of its own way? That is the only good fundamental news for crude oil. I mean, if you look at inventories uh, for crude oil, they're about 14% higher than the five-year average for this time of year. All of the hydrocarbons see supplies 
above the five-year average for this time of year. Gasoline demand over the last two months has been flat. And so if, if and, and crude oil not only is down about two and a half percent, it lost ground after this supply number. So if it can't rally a little bit on this, if it can't get some sort of bid like copper, then how do you trade it? And the way to trade it, it's just look out below, given there's no good news. I actually have my order in to short the October crude oil contract at $42 even. If I get filled, my target to the downside is going to be $39 even. Tyler, we always trade these with a stop, so my stop is going to be $43 even. Uh, each of these futures contracts is for 1,000 barrels, so we'd be risking $1,000 to make $3,000. All right, so there's the risk-reward uh, possibility there, payout ratio of 1 to 3. Scott, thanks very much. See you soon. Thanks, Tyler. We'll have our final trade straight ahead on Halftime. Before we get to our final trades, let's uh, point your attention to Cloudera dropping ahead of earnings today after the bell. Despite the big drop, the stock is still up 16 percent over the past month. Steve, you own it. What are you looking for here? Well, I always have low expectations for the quarter because the business can be kind of chunky. Uh, new CEO, they're moving more to a subscription. That moves almost complete. I think given that they're a data analytics firm in the cloud, that the table is set perfectly for them. So I'm not buying any more from the earnings, but I am sticking with it. I like this one long term. All right. Our investment committee has made a couple of moves in this market. Tiffany, you just bought into two stocks that are both up more than 100 percent this year. One is Teladoc. The other is on track. Why do you like them in spite of the fact that they're already uh, double uh, doubles for the year? Yeah, um, and I'm okay with that. So these are two of my tech enablers. Uh, so they are telehealth platforms um, on track. I love again. It's up 339% and Teladoc up 167%. But it is you know th these two companies are really um, enabling um, you know uh, uh, businesses to to be able to, to function. All right, let's go to our uh, let's go to our panel for some final trades again because I have absolute power. I get to choose who goes first. Joe Terranova, it's you. Thank you, Tyler. I feel very honored. <laughs> You're by very that. welcome. So, uh, both Pete and Steve have been advocates of Lululemon for many, many years. I was lucky enough to buy Lululemon uh, earlier in the year. I'm staying with it. It made a run at 400 bucks. I see it going well north of 400 bucks in the coming months. 51 billion market cap. Think about it. Nike's 180. This stock has plenty of room to the upside. All right, we got 30 seconds. Got to go fast. Pete, you're next. I'm going to give you a Coca-Cola. I've owned it a long time, and I see some call buying today. I just uh, had one, Coca-Cola. We like it. All right, uh, Mr. Weiss. <laughs> XPO, ready to push through resistance and get to new highs. And Liz. Equal weighted S&P on the idea that the rally keeps broadening out to cyclicals and smaller caps. Very interesting. Final thought to you, Tiffany. Quick. Zoom. That's it. Zoom. Boom. Boom. That does it for halftime. <laughs> the exchange begins right now. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.